Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Um, there's a pew Bible at the end of the pew that you can grab if that's helpful for you as well. Uh, 1 Peter is found all the way towards the, the back of the New Testament, right before the book of Revelation at the end of the, the Bible. We uh, are in, I guess, four or five weeks into a, a series uh, through this marvelous book, and we are focused in right now on a particular theme that we began to explore last week, and we want to continue considering uh, this week. Uh, that theme of the fact that God's love working in our lives through the ransoming power of Jesus Christ is meant to produce in us a transformed life, what the Scriptures call a holy life, a life set apart to, to God and seeking a purity that's fitting with the Lord and His character. And this week we, uh, we, we pan that out a bit more. Peter helps us to expand beyond just the idea of holiness and talk about what, is, what that looks like for us individually. And, and there's two elements to it that I really want us to focus on this morning that are in our verses. And that is the fear of God and the love that we're called to have for others. Those two elements are intended to overflow from the ransoming power of God in our lives. And I invite you to stand with me uh, in recognition of the truth, the power, the honor of God's Word, as we'll even see in our verse today. And I'll read aloud as you read along silently uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, on down through chapter 2, verse 3. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, and not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, all envy and slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. You may be seated, and as you do, let's pray once again. Oh, Father, as we pray regularly and have before us in this text for this morning, we thank you for the reminder, as humbling as it is, but we know so helpful for us that we are uh, like grass. 
And Lord, whatever about us might be glorious is just passing away like the flowers of the field. And yet, Lord, uh, Your truth, the promises of Your Word, the reality of salvation laid out to us in Your Word stands forever. We praise You for that today. And we ask that You would be our teacher, minister to us. Show us what it would mean to respond to that ransom and walk in a life of holiness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I suppose most kids uh, like to climb around on trees. Uh, Boys, maybe in particular, enjoy this activity, and my four little ones are no exception. Uh, We don't have very many trees or large trees, climbable trees in our yard. So when we you know, get out somewhere where there are a few oaks or maples of some substantial size, the boys get pretty fired up to climb. And climbing is interesting. At their age, they won't appreciate me saying this, but uh, they don't have a lot of upper body strength at their stage in life. And so really the, the climbing is largely dependent upon the feet stepping and climbing up. And if you think about it, of course, you can't really climb a tree with just one foot. You need that left, you need that right to work your way back and forth up the tree. Well, as you can imagine, often happens for them. They get a few steps up, think they've got a plan to move up that tree, and all of a sudden get stuck. What's their solution? If they're still pretty close to the ground, it's dear old dad. Come on over here, Dad, and give me a boost. Help push me up this tree. I want to continue stepping with that left, stepping with that right, climbing up, but I need your help to keep moving forward. When our passage today, Peter is urging us, as I said, to continue where we left off beginning to think about last week and this idea that we're called to respond to God's ransom and grace by living a life of holiness. And what Peter does for us, though, is invite us to look specifically at this uh, left foot of fearing God and this right foot of loving others. And to think about those two steps that we're constantly to be taking as we climb this tree of God's holiness. But, of course, on this tree, we don't just sort of occasionally get stuck. And we don't just every now and then have to look down and see if our Heavenly Father will give us a boost. We need Him constantly pushing us up, uh, hoisting us, if, if you will, up that tree of holiness. And one of the biggest things that He invites us to meditate upon, to think upon, to focus on as that driving force for us to learn to fear Him and to love others is the reality of His ransoming grace sent to us in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to focus on today, how that reality can transform us. It's absolutely a central element to the Christian belief that through Christ, through trusting in what He's done, we can be brought out of uh, slavery, captivity, to this old way of living, and brought in to this wonderful new life by the ransoming work of Jesus, by His purchase price to release us into this new family of God where we can walk in newness of life. 
And the, the Bible points to this uh, response to God's grace of fearing God and loving others all the way back in the early part of the Scriptures, if you think about it. Back in the book of Genesis, just in the first couple chapters, think about what happened with Adam and Eve. In their fall from a good, right relationship with God, turning away from Him, they fell out of fear of God, of reverencing His Word, and instead turned away from Him. So that left foot began to stumble right at the beginning. And then what happens just a couple chapters later? You see Cain with his brother Abel. Instead of loving his brother, instead of earnestly loving one another with a pure and sincere love, killing his own brother. We see as the Scriptures go on in the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, Forrest Gump, I guess, was not a smart man. Uh, we, we are smart people, and we still don't know what love is, okay? The Ten Commandments are laid out to show us how, what does it look like to love, to fear God, and to love others. The first four of those commandments, if you think about the list of the commandments, are all about this vertical relationship with God that we are called to enjoy and how we're to respond to Him. And then the, the rest of the commandments, the, the remaining six, uh, about not murdering, not stealing, not lying, not committing adultery, not coveting, what are those all about? It's about how we're to relate to one another. Those are guidelines. They're not just commands, arbitrary. They're, they're directives on how to love people well. So fearing God and loving others. And of course, Jesus, as you know, in the New Testament, multiple times when asked to summarize what it is we're supposed to do in response to God's work in our life, said love God and love others as ourself. So we see that that's a principle all the way across the board. And that's what Peter talks about in these verses. Now, the, the challenge is, you start to think about this, one of the challenges is that if, if we don't get the beauty, the majesty, the wonder of the ransoming love of Jesus, if we don't get how awesome it has been to be brought out of this old life and into this new life and how desperately we need him to do that, then we're not going to really be motivated to climb that tree much. Uh, we also, if we don't see uh, fearing God and loving others is a good thing for us, if it's just sort of rules and regulations, not something that will bless us and honor God, then we're not going to be very motivated to move forward. And even if we kind of lay hold of both of those things, just the terms fearing God, uh, growing up in salvation, fearing God, uh, obeying the truth, some of the verbiage in here is a little off-putting when you first read it. So let's dive into this. Peter gives us a helpful pathway to digest some of these ideas using three analogies that I want us to look at this morning. And if you want to look in the back of your worship guide, you can. The uh, main idea in the notes section, as I have it listed, is that since we have learned to trust in the good news of ransom through Jesus, we should respond by fearing God and by loving others. And there's three pictures that Peter gives us to help us think about that. One is a ransom, another is a plant, and the third is a child. Let's take a look at what this passage teaches about those realities. Number one, a ransom. We see in verse 17 that we're called, it says, to conduct ourselves 
with fear without, throughout the time of our exile. Why? Why are we supposed to do that? What's the motivation? Well, it says, knowing, in verse 18, and then goes through this marvelous picture. I hope it's beautiful to you today of the ransoming love of Jesus. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Okay, think about how marvelous Peter is saying that that this reality is if gold and silver are just trifles compared to it, just perishable items of this world in contrast to the work of Jesus and his blood. They're also, uh, they're also perishable. They, they fade away. Jesus, uh, Peter wants to remind us that this, this ransom is not something that Jesus is going to somehow not be able to get financing for at the last minute. Where the deal's kind of expected to go through, but it doesn't happen at the last minute. No. He's secured it. It's imperishable. The deposit is perfect for our ransoming out of captivity and into the family of God. It goes on and says that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for your sake. Do you realize that? We live in a blessed time. When he says last times, he's just talking about all the period of time since Jesus came right up until today. What a privilege that we get to live in this time and experience a knowledge of God's grace. And it was a plan. It wasn't an accident. Jesus was foreknown. His mission was purposed before the foundation of the world. And through all of this, we can have faith in God and be believers. So we see that ransoming love, Peter says, is going to drive this reality of fearing God and loving others. Jump back with me to verse 17, because I want us to walk through that. Verse 17 says, If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to one another's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, throughout the time of your exile. Now, if you're like me, you look at that and you've got some questions that come to mind. Particularly if we understand the biblical reality that it's by grace that we're saved. We don't do anything to merit it or earn it. We can't add to it. All sins, past, present, and future are paid for in full through Christ. What then does it mean to walk with a heavenly Father in fear? We might even have in mind, I won't have you turn there, but Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul specifically says that we're not to have fear because of our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. How do we put those things together? What's the connecting point? Well, when the Apostle Paul is talking about fear, he's saying we shouldn't have any fear because we think that we've got to secure our salvation. If it's all on us, or even part of it's on us, if we know our own hearts, we know we can't come through with perfection, with perfect righteousness that's appropriate to God. So Paul is just saying that our Heavenly Father has adopted us into our family by grace, and so we shouldn't live in that kind of fear. What Peter's saying is there's a kind of good, healthy, righteous fear that comes out of recognizing God as our heavenly father that's what he means in our verse for today he means that we reverence and respect 
our Heavenly Father. We recognize, as it says, that He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. We can't go all into the reality of God's judgment today, but we know, as it says in Romans 8, that uh, uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not under, if we're in Christ, under God's judgment anymore in that sense. But we are in the sense that we will one day give an account for what we've done. Jesus will pay the price for what we've done, but we shouldn't walk through life, Peter is saying, thinking that God doesn't see or know. God knows. And he invites us then to walk in a reverent fear of Him and tells us that that's good and a blessing for us. And one other thing he says under this point of ransom. Uh, look with me down in verse 18. He, he talks in 17 about the Father that we have, Heavenly Father, and then in 18 he says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. What's the message there? This is the who's your daddy question of this passage. Who's going to be our daddy is what Peter is inviting us to consider. And certainly, I hope many of us were blessed by a good lineage that we have had. Maybe good and godly people that went before us in our family. But even the best parents, even the best grandparents, are all fallen, just like we are, by being in this fallen world, even if redeemed. And what Peter's saying here is, uh, what a beautiful thing it is to have a heavenly father who brings us into our family. Yes, he watches over us. Yes, he calls us to a reverent fear. But his ways are true and good, not like the fallen ways of our human forefathers. So what a beautiful thing to be ransomed by the work of Christ and to be able to begin to walk in that kind of reverent fear of God. The second thing we see here that Peter uses as an illustration for us is this idea of a plant. Look with me down at verse 22. And it's interesting here, just for the sake of understanding, in each section he gives us, like we saw in verse 17 and then 18 through 21, he gives us the thing we should do, the, the tree climbing of holiness, and then he comes back around and gives us the motivation. The, the illustration of it and the motivation. He does it again here. Verse 22. He's, he, we'll come back to this. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Fearing God, loving one another. Left foot, right foot there. Why? Why am I supposed to do this? Or how am I to understand this? Verse 23. Since you have been born again. Not from perishable seed, but from imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news that was preached to you. What's the picture here? He switches from kind of this ransom idea and builds upon it this idea of a plant. And he just says, what an amazing thing that as believers, the seed of God's word and his work has been planted in us. And it's not a perishable seed, it's imperishable. It takes root and grows. And we're intended to grow that way as well. He goes on, as I said in verse 22, 
to tell us what it is we're supposed to do. Let's pick this apart for a minute and, and dig a little deeper into this left foot, right foot of fearing God and loving others. He says, having purified your souls. That's a strong order, isn't it? That goes pretty deep as far as I can tell. Purity, that's something that's without perfection. Souls, that's deep down within us, isn't it? We talked last week about holiness not being, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. It's much beyond that. It's deeper. It's not just our actions. It's not even just our speech. It's not even really just our thoughts. But it's our souls. It's what we will, what we desire deep down inside in our fallenness is not directed to the Lord. And therefore, Peter calls us, if you want to walk in holiness and fear God, uh, dig deep. Go deep inside. You're going to have to. Purify your souls by obedience to the truth. You know, here's a wonderful thing. Uh, our uh, parents, our forefathers, if you will, that were mentioned earlier, I know as a parent when I'm dealing with my kids, I try to give good and right information that's true and, and accurate for them. But I know it's not always that case. Right? I'm a fallible person. I'm trying to do the best, but I, I know I can't. I'm sure that was, you know, that comes down through every generation. What an awesome thing that our Heavenly Father gives us perfectly, completely reliable directives for how to walk in this life, how to please Him, how to love others, so we can walk in obedience to the truth. Obedience doesn't have to be a bad word. It can be a great word because His truth is always on target. And then it goes on and talks about this right foot that we really haven't said that much about yet. Loving others, loving our brothers. And he says a couple of things. He says, for a sincere brotherly love. Sincere. I think that's important. Because it's generally easy for us or easy enough for us to put on a veneer of some generic concern for people around us. Right? That's just sort of what you do when you're out in society and you want to be a normal person. You try to put on a little bit of a veneer. But it's a different thing to really have a sincere brotherly love, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Let me pick that apart for just a, a minute for us. What, what's the connection here? Why is it important to have a pure heart to love others around us? Well, if we've got the pollution of bitterness in our lives towards others around us because of something someone's done, we can't really love them in any true and sincere way. If the Lord's not working that bitterness out, then we really can't love others well. If we've got the contamination of discontentment with our lives and we look around at other people and always kind of wanting what they have, we can't really love in any deep way. It's always a comparison game. If we have the taint of self-righteousness in our lives and we're not, again, seeking to climb that tree and have God work it out of our lives, then when we relate to other people, there's no way for them to experience anything besides sort of judgment and that self-righteousness, that arrogance that we have. So these two things are tied together, having our hearts purified as we grow in the Word of God that's been planted in us so that we can walk in fear and in love of others. Let's look at the last picture here that Peter gives us. Chapter 
2, verses 1 through 3. He says again, look, he gives the directive first, and then he gives the motivation and picture afterwards. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What's he saying here? He's saying just like a child is intended to to grow and needs to feed upon milk in order to grow and develop, so too we're called to feed upon the Lord. Again, that fear of God is reverencing God, relating to God, knowing God. So we need that to grow. And what will be the fruit of that? We're going to love other people. So if we're loving other people, we're going to put some things out of our life, Peter says, that are kind of part of our sinful bent. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He's saying that if we taste and see that the Lord is good, if we see this ransom, it's going to change those things. Stay with me. I want to just walk through each of those areas, and I think it will be really helpful for us to think about how God's ransoming love will change our hearts. Malice. What's malice? Malice is spite. Disliking others and kind of wanting bad things to happen to them. It sounds like a really bad word, but if you think about it, sometimes we have malicious thoughts, don't we? Even if it's just spite and a desire that others not do so well. It's a little bit, if you will, in my mind, the opposite of envy. Envy says other people have some things and I wish I had them and I want to get them. Uh, spite or maliciousness says other people have some stuff and I wish ill will upon them. I wish things were bad for them. You understand? They're sort of correlated to each other. How does the work of Christ relate to this? Well, the ransom love of Christ, if we've begun to experience it, if we've begun to see what we deserve because of our sin and yet the gracious love of God, then that love's going to pour into our lives in a way that it spills out over into people around us. Begin to love people rather than hate people. And it'll teach us as well that others around us are special, they're important, that they're meant to be loved. And that we don't have to use other people and and seeing their failure or their their decline to lift us up because we've already been lifted up perfectly by our Heavenly Father through that ransoming love. What about deceit? Deceit and hypocrisy, let's talk about those together. I think deceit, again, if you track with me on this, deceit is when you're false and you know it. You're doing it on purpose. Uh, Hypocrisy is probably more that you're false and you don't really realize that you're being false. Uh, Hypocrisy comes from the Greek word and the Greek plays when an actor would come out and it would be the same person. I would go behind this curtain and I'd come out with one mask on for one character and then I'd go back behind the curtain and it's the same me coming out, but I got a different mask on. So that's what hypocrisy is about. How does the the gospel relate to our propensity to be deceitful, to be uh, hypocritical in our relationships with others? Well, the the ransom love of Jesus, if you know you have that love and that he cherishes you and cares for you, then you can be honest about who you are. We don't have to hide that. 
That's part of what we're doing even in these uh, life groups. Not that there's soul-bearing sessions at each life group, but we're trying to enter in and places and small groups, Bible studies and things where we can be open about who we are. We don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to wear masks. The gospel frees us up from that, to be honest about our struggles, about our fallenness. What about envy? Envy, again, says the other person has something that I want. What's the main message of this passage today? It says that we've, got, we've been bought with something that's imperishable, that's more precious than gold or silver and lasts forever, that we've had a seed planted in us that is growing into this wonderful plant of the gospel, that we've got pure spiritual milk and we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't have to want the stuff that everybody else around us has, their possessions, their job, their spouse, their success. We can trust that what God has given us is His perfect plan for us and walk in that in joy. Slander, it speaks about here, and I'll begin to close here. When it speaks about slander and our propensity to speak behind others' back, slander sounds like a strong word, right? People file lawsuits over that kind of thing. Well, slander is just when we say something, uh, I think it could probably even be something true, but particularly when it's something false, and our intention is to damage the reputation or image of another person. If you envision each of us, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but having a bucket full of reputation, that's who you are. This is who Chris Peters is. If somebody takes a scoop out of that, they're essentially stealing something from you, taking something from you. And so, again, we, how do we combat slander in our lives, our propensity to talk about others behind their backs and to want to tear them down so we can feel good? The love of Jesus, He fills us up to fullness so we don't have to dip out of anybody else's bucket. Well, you all probably, along with me, took note this last week of the uh, commemoration of 9-11, I guess the 11th anniversary of it. And we, we had some conversation at the dinner table. Uh, my wife was encouraging the boys to pray about for the families who had lost you know, loved ones 11 years ago, um, which was a good thing, but it you know, spurred a bunch of questions from them about all of the things that had happened on that horrible day. And so it, it brought those realities to my mind again as well. Uh, I shared with them that you know, they wanted to know how many people had been killed. I said you know, about 3,000. I think it was actually 2,700 or so. I looked up later. And I told them one of the most interesting things and compelling things was that a huge percentage of those folks were those who were firefighters and police officers and folks that they weren't trapped in the building. They went in to the building to go help people. And some 400 or so, if you look it up, I think, were killed who were firemen, police officers, and so forth. And I thought about it in light of our theme today of ransom. Amazingly heroic what those men and women did. Uh, probably most of them, though, going into the building, didn't know that the building was going to collapse upon them. And, of course, they saved people. An amazing thing to save people and help rescue them in this life, to give them more life in this life. But I thought about it in light of the majesty of what Christ has done. Uh, the amazing heroism that we think about with that 9-11 event and then thinking about what Christ has done. That he came into this building of this 
fallen world. And he knew that the whole weight of it was going to come down and land upon him. He knew that. He went in not just to secure for us more life in this life, which is a great thing. He came in to secure for us eternal life, to rescue us in the most complete way. And in doing so, he was fulfilling God's perfect mission for him in ransoming us and desiring to see our lives changed and transformed by that ransoming love. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do praise You for the wonderful news. It is good news for us today to know that You haven't left us in that old life, in that old captivity, but You have brought us out. You have ransomed and rescued us, and not only that, but You've planted an imperishable seed in us. You've done a work of eternal life in us. And we ask now that, Lord, you would help us. We struggle every day to lift that left foot and fear you as we should. And to lift that right foot and to love others well. Transform us, Lord, that we might be your vessels. We might be set apart to you as you call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.